I designed it that way. I don't want to be an asset manager. I don't want to find deals. I don't want anything that requires a geography for me. I need to do everything, pretty much a computer, because even phone calls, I don't even need to take phone calls because I have Zoom and stuff. So that was an intentional design. Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, is a dynamic multifamily investor syndicator with a portfolio valued at over $20 million and growing. Join her on her journey as she shows you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing. And she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here is your host, Linda Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast. I'm Linda Brooks, your host, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I also want to thank and commend you for making the all-important decision to learn more about how to become an educated passive investor in the commercial real estate market. So today we are going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and I'm hoping near and dear to many of yours as well. We have a special guest with us to have this conversation. We have Melanie McDaniel. She's the founder of Freestyle Capital Group, which is very appropriate for our topic today, a boutique private equity firm that provides education and passive real estate investment opportunities. Welcome, Melanie, and thanks so much for joining. Thank you. So happy to be here. So our special topic today is lifestyle design, and Melanie appears to have mastered the ability to do just that, design the lifestyle that she wants to live. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what role real estate plays in that life that she's designed for herself and how you two can do the same for you. So Melanie, tell us a little bit about yourself. What were you doing before you got into real estate? What was the moment that led you to decide you wanted to do something different with your life? Well, life was just a bucket of strawberry, chocolate covered strawberries. I thought everything was fine, honestly. So it was raised in a comfortable home, got good grades. Things came pretty easy to me. My parents were blue collar workers. My dad retired from the Utah state prison system, retired, not like behind bars, but in front of them, right? (laughs) My mom, (laughs) she's still working the same job for it. She's like, at least 38 years in on that. And so that's what I knew. Go to school, get good grades, probably go to college, get a job. I ended up doing the military for four years. Um, And the reason was, one, I was over high school. I graduated a year early and I'm like, what can I do? I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm going to study. And I don't want to waste my time paying for college when I don't know. So I'm like, I'll just join the military because that'll make me travel, right? I thought for sure. And then of all the branches of the service, I interviewed whatever you call it when you go to the recruiters, a number of them. And I was sold on the Navy because I had the highest chance of traveling with the Navy. So which turned out to be a great decision because my first duty station was Italy. And then when I get out of the service, I went into hospitality and travel administration because travel, you'll feel this theme in our talk today. So I chose to study travel administration because I wanted to work in that industry finished my bachelor's degree in travel administration and kind of, I worked on like a submarine in Waikiki. I worked at a hotel, I did bartending, I did all sorts of stuff. And eventually I'm like, I need to get my poop in a group and do something real with my life. right? (laughs) And at the time, my dad's wife was a park ranger, law enforcement park ranger. I visited them in Rocky Mountain National Park and she was doing her ranger stuff, helping like search and rescue and medical and whatever. And I thought I could do that while I figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Right. So I took that route. I ended up doing that nine years 
I think I just got stuck in it because I was in it. And once you're in, it's hard to get out because you have these certifications and you start climbing a ladder, you start making so much money, so much meaning a certain amount of money, (laughs) not a ton of money for what you do. And then in 2015, I was 35, like on the way, 14 more years to retire, plus my four years military, 24 your retirement, sit pretty and be secure for the rest of my life, whatever. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that screwed everything up because it opened my eyes to the potential that I could be, that I don't have to trade my time for money in a job, that there is a way for my money to make my money. And it was just mine because I'd never been presented that idea before. So that is really where the journey started. It took me two years to leave the federal job and I literally just quit And I became a real estate agent because that to me was the stepping stone to the investor. Uh, So I could make some money, but also get in the industry and also keep learning because I didn't know in the world of real estate investing, I didn't know where I wanted to fit in. I learned pretty quick. I didn't like single family. Flipping isn't even investing, but I didn't want to flip. I didn't want little stuff. I wanted to go big. I wanted to do apartments. So I did a coaching program. And then just fast forward, I got clarity on what I wanted to do. And now I'm more on the capital side. I'm launching a fund. I've done a single purpose fund. I'm a co-GP on a couple of commercial deals. And yeah, things are starting to finally take off. It, it was a long journey. I did two and a half years as an agent. And I've been doing this freestyle capital group for, I launched it in February of 2020, but COVID really took six months out of my sales. And then until July, I didn't do a deal. Well, really January till the second July, but I don't count the COVID time. (laughs) But July to July is how long it took me to do my first deal. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned the theme of traveling. Where were you living where this journey started and where are you living now? So I was in California. I worked as a park ranger at the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. Mm -hmm. And then when I became a real estate agent, I moved from California to Virginia. So coast to coast. And the reason was I was in a relationship that kind of, it was like my opportunity to have a soft landing. I had a bunch of debt because I did the Rich Dad Poor Dad training program. I had a little bit of money trickling in from like leave from the government. And yeah, it was the scariest time in my life. My dad told me I was stupid and he told me, don't call me for money. I'm just like, thank you for the fuel. I will use that. Thank you. Cause I don't blame him. Like that's what he knows. And what I do to him is scary because he would never do such a thing and doesn't understand it. And he's not me. So that's okay. I'm not saying that to like harm my dad, but his negativity was definitely some fuel for me. So it took six months before I made any money. I mean, that's scary. So already in debt, six months. But man, when it hit, it hit because I started a meetup group. I serviced mostly investors and I had about 500 people on my list by the time I left. I only did it for two and a half years, but I built a team. And then my team, when they were closing deals, I was making money. And then when I realized there was enough, well, I was totally debt-free and I already invested a big investment in a, a syndication I had money trickling in. So I'm like, okay, this is my chance now to do pull the chalks number two. I go from federal job to real estate agent, now agent to what I'm doing now. So it's always easier the second time. Once you do it and you succeed, it makes it so much easier the second time when you build a little bit of confidence in yourself. So I was in that second trench for a good year, but I wasn't worried about it. I knew if I kept doing what I was doing and was consistent and persistent, it would eventually hit. And then when it hits, it's exponential. And that's what happened. And that's where I am right now. So the real estate agent thing, when I left December of 2019, I sold everything I own. I have a car. I have a bin of camping gear. 
I have a safe that has my guns in it and special papers. And I have a bin for my scrapbooks and all that stuff is at my bombs. Everything else I own fits in my car. So December of 2019, when I left Virginia, I guess I went to Arizona and parked my car in a storage unit because my sister lives in Arizona. That became my new address, <laughs> even though I've never lived there. That's if you ask the IRS where I live, that's where I live. My driver's license, my car, everything is there. My sister's address. And I left for Thailand. I was in Thailand for a month. It's where I built out my website. I built out my business. Kind of, I put myself on, decide what your branding is, who you are. I started a YouTube channel. I started all of my platform, we'll call it. I came back in February. I went to the Best Ever Conference. And then I was supposed to go to Playa del Carmen next. And I had international trips planned for the whole year of 2020. But I opted not to go to Playa because the world was shutting down because of COVID and I didn't want to get stuck in Mexico. So I hunkered down with my mom, March to like June. Then I started getting antsy. So I just rolled in my car. I just started, spent some time in Boise. I went to California, went back down to Phoenix. I just was around. And then the weather started to turn and I was in Boise. I'm like, oh, no way. So I went south. <laughs> I went to Texas, uh, Austin. I stayed in Kingsland outside of Austin, like 75 miles up the river and had a little cabin on the, the river for the holidays, Thanksgiving through New Year's. And then it was too cold. So I went to Belize and I came back in time for the worst storm ever that Texas had. I was there for that. Then I left for Mexico <laughs> and I've been back in the States since March and I went to Boise. I spent the whole summer there this time because I had met some people, just rented a room from a friend. And now I'm back in the South again because the weather's starting to turn. So at the moment, I think you said I'm a master of this. Well, I'm, I'm still a fart in a whirlwind. I don't always know where I'm going to sleep at night. So the grass is always greener on the other side, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And just the caveat here is I'm single. I have no kids, no pets, no plants. So this lifestyle doesn't work for everyone. They could have a modified version of it for sure. But just know that it's not everyone could do what I do. <laughs> and I kind of just travel where their conferences are, where the people are where I feel like being for now. Very nice. It sounds adventurous and scary at the same time. Would you categorize it that way? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm pretty used to it though. It definitely, for someone who has never gone anywhere or done anything, yeah, it sounds probably really scary, but I've traveled the world and by myself my whole life, really since turning 18, well, 17 in the Navy. Well, I was 18 by the time I got to Italy, but it can be, I guess. It's a little nerve wracking, honestly. Because some people, they have to mow a lawn, they might have to clean a house, they might have to do certain chore things, life chores. I don't have any of those chores, but besides rotating my tires and getting an oil change and washing my car once in a while, but I have to plan my movements. Like that's my chore mm -hmm. is figuring out where I'm going to go live. So, but I enjoy that. That's fun to me. Do you have any particular places that are usual destinations or home bases? I know you mentioned Arizona with your sister, but is there anywhere else like where your mom is or Thailand may be a home base for you internationally? Is there some place like that? Yeah, I haven't been doing it too long. Of course, Phoenix is always a stop. Salt Lake's a stop. Now, Kanab, Utah's a stop. It's George, Utah. Those are all in Arizona, Utah. It actually works well because I like going to the north for the summer, Boise and even Montana and the whole Pacific Northwest. But Boise specifically is kind of where I've been the last two summers. And Texas is where I am for the winters, except when I dip down to Mexico or Belize. And I would say Belize and Mexico are both kind of home. I'm going back to Mexico actually in November. And I'll probably go back to Belize because I have a friend there and, and I just stay for free at his hotel. Like, why wouldn't I be there year round, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
but it's perfect because in the spring and the fall, I go right through my sisters, my dad's, my grandma's, my mom's to Boise. And then I come back, mom, dad, grandma, sister, like it's the perfect path. I just take a whole month to get from Boise to Texas. And I spend like good amounts of time with my family because when I was in the military, when I lived in Virginia, even to an extent, California, I didn't see my family a lot. So it is kind of nice now that I can just move and see them, spend a good week, week with them, not just, oh, I'm on vacation. I'm here to see you for two days. And then I leave. Like, it's kind of nice. It's a lifestyle for me. And to go into like how it works with my job uh, and what I do, I work with investors and I work with sponsors. I'm kind of the middle person. I'm a capital partner. And then my fund invests in deals too. So I designed it that way. I don't want to be an asset manager. I don't want to find deals. I don't want anything that requires a geography for me. I need to do everything, pretty much a computer, because even phone calls, I don't even need to take phone calls because I have Zoom and stuff. So that was an intentional design. Very nice. So the next question I have for you is, I understand you designed it that way. So how does cash flow work for you? And how do you set things in place? Because technically you don't have anywhere to get mail. You don't have any way to wash dishes. You don't, do you know what I mean? Like the regular stuff that people do at home, right? That traditional mindset that you talked about earlier. How do you manage that? And what does cash flow look like for you in order for you to maintain your lifestyle that you currently have? And I don't mean dollar amounts, but I'm talking more like structure. So to answer the not having a home office sort of question or place to receive mail. So my sister was receiving my mail for a while. That was never the long-term plan. Say she wasn't the best steward of my mail when I got like an IRS bill because something happened with my bank accounts with my LLC and my CPA. Anyway, I had like three notices. So it cost me about $300 just in fines and late fees just to not pay my bill, whatever it was. And so that chasing letters cost me a lot of money. I mean, because she wouldn't tell me when I got mail and then I wouldn't see her for four or five months. So my bad, whatever. I didn't know the IRS was looking for me. So it's not like I asked her, hey, do I have, have I gotten anything from the IRS? Right. <laughs> and then my registration of my car was late because she didn't tell me it came and I wasn't even thinking about it. Of course, it's not her fault because I'm using her address and it's not normal. So that is always a challenge. There are these post office boxes that will scan your mail and digitally send it to you. And then you have to select throw away, keep mail to me. And price-wise, it's not too bad, 15 bucks a month. And you get so many scans and then they'll shred your mail that you don't want. But the problem is you don't want credit cards going there. You can't have your Amazon package delivered there. It's all just paper. So there is that solution. I have just recently moved all my mail to be sent to my mom. So I think my mom will be a better steward of my mail. So that is an issue, but it is a digital nomad issue. I'm not alone. You could go to a co-working space like we work and they will be a steward of your mail. They'll receive packages even, they'll forward, send, hold, whatever. But that's like 80 bucks a month if you want that level of service, but it's worth it if you have a business and it's just part of the cost of being nomadic. As far as dishes and all that, like I don't have any dishes to do. <laughs> I mean, laundry would be the thing that I would struggle with, but I just plan when I'm staying, like I stay in Airbnbs and they often have laundry facilities. Or if I'm renting a room from a friend, they, since I've been a digital nomad, the only laundromat I've had to use was in Mexico. Mm. So even my Airbnb in Thailand, my Airbnb mom, she lived next door and she would do my laundry. <laughs> so, oh, nice. I know. She's so sweet. She'd bring me food all the time. She was so sweet. 
So before COVID, I was nomadic. This whole people realizing after COVID that they can work from a computer anywhere in the world. This is like a novel concept for a lot of people. But I will tell you, there are thousands and thousands of digital nomads out there. So I was already studying how to be a digital nomad, how to design your life, how to design work, how to talk to your boss, work from a computer, whatever. I've listened to podcasts. I even when I went to Thailand, I, I went to what's called the Nomad Summit. It's a conference for a bunch of digital nomads in Chiang Mai, Thailand. That's why I was in Thailand. <laughs> so <laughs> there are people out there that will help. There are services. There are co-living spaces. There are apps that help you connect to people all over the world that are like you. There are dating apps for digital nomads. There are Facebook groups for expats all over the world. There's Selena. They're a big nomad community. There's Remote Year where they take 30 people and every month they move you to a new country. They set up your housing, your co-working space, your internet, your cell phone. They do it for you and, and you all just move as a pod of people. There's Wi-Fi tribe. There's a bunch. They're just popping up all over the place. So I guess you don't just all of a sudden become a throw, sell all your stuff and become a nomad. Like There's some studying to do to prepare for you to have a business one because your business needs to be professionalized. And if you're moving overseas and you're some kind of tech guy, there's certain security, there's certain phone lines maybe you need. Yeah, you have to prepare for all that stuff. So it was months and months and months of studying and learning before I actually became this lifestyle. But honestly, the less you have, the less you have to worry about when it comes to tracking stuff. I mean, I was robbed of my phone in Cancun. So that was annoying, but it's an Apple. So my computer completely mirrors my phone. I lost no photos, lost no emails, text message, anything. It was just right on my computer, figuring out cell plans and getting SIM cards. It's a learning process, everything, all of it. And I've just been doing it since moving abroad when I was 18. It was the first time I realized, oh, I need either a new phone or a SIM card or Wi-Fi all over the world. There are people that are happy to help. For the most part, people love Americans and they're happy to help us. The dollar geo-hacking, we'll call it, the dollar goes a lot further in many other countries than it does here. So I make American money and I go live in Mexico where my dollar goes a lot further than it does in Austin. A lot further. Absolutely. So from a business setup cash flow perspective, right? In order for you to be able to do this, you have to have income. Sorry, I forgot about that part. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. In order to be able to do this, you have to have income, right? Which you've designed such that your income can cover the lifestyle that you've created for yourself. Talk to us a little bit about that and how real estate plays a part in it. I'm on the journey. Like I still have to work. I am not financially free. Everybody has a number that is financial freedom to them. And what financial freedom is, is you have cash flow coming in that you don't have to work for that just comes in, whether it's rental properties or dividends or inheritance. I mean, whatever you want to build your passive income to your financial freedom number. My financial freedom number personally is 10 K 10,000 a month passive. I can make more than that active, but passive that to me is comfort. That is, I don't need to worry about money. I have enough to live. I have enough for emergencies and I have a lot to save and I have some to splurge, right? That's my, at the moment, financial freedom number. I'm sure when I get there, I'll push that number higher, but that's my Denali. I'm not looking for Everest yet. Just climbing Denali right now. <laughs> so I have some passive income syndication. I've been in my 24 unit apartment complex. I was divorced in 2015 and that dude is still paying me money. It's not alimony. It was because he had to have a BMW that I had to give $16,000 to BMW plus the car here, take this to take this car away from me. And now he's paying me back, but he's so dumb. He's paying 10% interest and he has been doing it since 2016 or 17 when we finally settled. And 
I'm saying dumb, not because he agreed to the interest. It's dumb because he has the mindset that if I can afford the payment, I can afford the thing. That BMW is going to end up costing him like just to have it for a couple of years, like $40,000. It's just dumb. But anyway, so that trickles in. (laughs) (laughs) So in the beginning, I had my real estate agents, my team, they were selling real estate and that's trickling in. I have a real estate license. And when I refer people to agents, I get 25% of the commission. I just got paid a couple grand two weeks ago just for sending a connection. So I get those. And then what I'm doing, the deals I'm doing, I make a due diligence fee. So that, that's my payday. And then at the moment, the three deals I've done doesn't really cash flow. That One will do $100 a month. That's my cash flow. The other two, I don't get cash flow. But there's a backside to those. And when we sell or refire or whatever, I get big paydays on the back end. So I still am building that portfolio. But those due diligence fees or those acquisition fees, that's my income for the business I do now. So I have to work right now. And mm-hmm. as I do deals, I want equity share and I want cash flow. I don't have any more money to put into passive income investments. So I have to be active. So one foot in active and one foot in passive until I'm fully passive. But the idea though is that financial freedom number and figuring out what that is so you can back into the journey. Absolutely. That makes total sense. Absolute complete and total sense. What projects that you're working on right now? So right now I've closed out everything. We closed two last week. So those three are done. That's now in the past, just waiting on the paydays for the last two. I'm looking for the next deal as far as a sponsor to partner with or my fund to invest in. But at the moment, I don't have anything I'm raising specifically for, but I'm building my business as well. I'm starting a coaching, one-on-one coaching with someone that's going to help me. He's a performance coach for capital raisers. So because I've kind of tapped out my database for my 506B, my sophisticated investors, and I'm targeting now just accredited investors because my fund I'm launching is a as a 506C, which I can only bring people in that have a net worth of a million or more. So now... My performance coach is going to help me, one, find those people and then help me figure out what their problems are so I can speak to them differently than I speak to my average senior chief or whatever, right? So that's what the coach is for, is take me to that next level. I'm here. I got where I am. feel good about it and what I've been able to do so far, but I know my knowledge is now capped and now I need to, to do the next thing. So I'm not always in a deal. I'm not always working. I'm not always raising, but when I'm not raising, I'm meeting more people and I'm building out my business better. So there's a few things I'm tweaking, like I'm launching a fund. So that's, that takes my time right now. So it's not profitable until I do a deal. Always looking for deals, always meeting new investors. So I'm not working on anything at the moment. <laughs> gotcha. Understood. So if someone was interested in, they had the aha moment and said, you know what? I want to change my lifestyle. And I'd love to talk to Melanie about it. One, what advice would you have for them? And two, please share your contact information. Sure. I have a little guide on my website. It's the you know the lead magnet, right? So you have to trade your email to get the lead magnet. But it's, <laughs> it will help you figure out your financial freedom number, where you are, and what it takes to get to where you want to go. It kind of walks you through from design it or dream it first, design it second, and then go do it. So then go to my website, freestylecapitalgroup.com, and then just find the download there. So I'll have their email. Now they'll be in my funnel. They'll receive some emails from me. But at the bottom of my email, when you receive it, well, you'll have my email. So that's a good way to contact me. I'm on LinkedIn, Melanie McDaniel Invest. 
Freestyle Capital Group also has a LinkedIn page, but my personal page is better. I'm on Instagram, Freestyle Capital Group. Let's see, what about Facebook? But whatever. I mean, direct email, find me on LinkedIn are probably the best ways to connect to me directly. But if they want just that guide and kind of do their own thing before calling me, then they can go to the website and get that guide. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Melanie. I guess my last question is you're launching a fund. What's next for you after the fund? You're going to remain nomadic. You're thinking you might potentially partially settle down in a geographical location somewhere. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) November 22nd to January 12th. Then it's back into conference season. I'll be in Denver and I'll be in California. I don't know. Honestly, it was really nice to settle down for three months when I was in Boise. So we'll see. Maybe I'll do three months stints instead of this just like craziness. But I'd like to spend more time abroad. So maybe I'll focus on that more or I'll find a home base and then travel for a month at a time and just come home each time. Potentially. I have no idea. I wish I knew, but I don't. I wish I knew where home was. Like if someone said, Melanie, go home, I'd be like, um, ah, Utah anymore. I've been gone since I was 17. It's not Texas. It's kind of homey. Boise's kind of homey, but they're not home. Like whatever that word is, it doesn't exist in my life. I don't know where that is. And the beauty is you have and can continue to design your lifestyle in such a way that if you choose to settle down somewhere and call it home, you can. And if you choose not to, you don't have to. That's the beauty of it. How about that? I will say the only negative piece because of who I am, how I've been in my lifestyle, I have not been able to take advantage one of my veteran loan, but I've never bought real estate that I lived in and held it. I've never gotten to ride that train that everybody got to ride in equity of the last 10 years or so. But I own apartments, so I'm riding that equity train. I mean, I have real estate, so it's not like I missed out completely. But think of the people who bought a house 10 years ago and the amount of wealth that brings. So that's the only negative thing. I'm like, dang it, I should have bought a freaking house when I was in California in 2013, right? So that's the only thing. Other than that, my dream home is somewhere in the woods outside of a city that I really love that's kind of quirky and cute. Nothing big. Big cities, they're crazy. I don't like them at all. I actually get into Atlanta. I'm like, I just want to cry. I don't want to cry. <laughs> too much stuff going on. But it's a two-car garage with the living upstairs, just enough for one room or even a studio style. Big windows and big lights and really nice kind of modern design. That's it with like a balcony. So I can have some outdoor living space. That's my dream home. Nice. Well, I fully anticipate that at some point we'll connect in the future and you'll tell me that you have your dream home that you pop into semi-monthly or monthly. Yeah. <laughs> or rent it out on VRBO while I'm gone or something. Exactly. Well, Melanie, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It all sounds exciting to me, and I'm sure that some listeners will find it exciting as well. Wishing you nothing but the best and definitely want to connect with you in the future to see where you are and what you're up to and how things are going. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Thank you for having me. Indeed, my pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating on your favorite listening platform. And if you like what you hear, find it helpful and want to learn more, go ahead and hit subscribe. To learn more about investment opportunities and join the Multifamily Investor Ladies community, visit us on our website at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And remember, it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing with the Multifamily Investor Ladies. 
Thanks a mil for listening. For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing or to reach Linda directly, visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mil for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, reminds you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investment journey, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.